Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tonight, Biden caves. The president won't pressure or punish Iran, Hamas, or Qatar, but he does push the Israelis to call off their bombing. Does Mr. Biden really think he'll ever win back this crowd. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Cybertrap. New data shows Iran spoofing GPS signals and sending commercial airliners off course. How Tehran could justify shooting down a civilian aircraft. And double standard. I never killed anybody, but I got something to do with that body. The DA going after Trump uses the same law to prosecute rapper Young Thug, and the ladies of The View cry foul. The other problem with it is that it, we talk about dog whistles. This is a bit of a dog whistle. Plus, nationwide strategy. Republicans find success being boring conservatives like Nikki Haley. So don't let the media tell you what we're going to do. If Nikki Haley is the future, why is the majority of her party still supporting Trump? We start with breaking news, live pictures of Israel, where it's still calm at 2 a.m. in the morning. Hamas and Israel are eye to eye right now with no deal to extend the ceasefire. At the same time, the fighting has not started again. The last batch of hostages came out of Gaza just a couple of hours ago. They include one American, and there are still more than 150 hostages, including at least seven Americans left behind in Gaza. It's 7 p.m. in Washington, where President Biden and his team continue to pressure the Israelis not to restart the fighting and pressuring the Israelis not to fulfill their promise of wiping Hamas off the earth. With that, we welcome you to The Ferris Show on television. First tonight, Biden caves, showdown ahead. As a loyal viewer, you saw this coming because we predicted Mr. Biden would cave to the pro-Hamas wing of the Democratic Party and pressure the Israelis. And Representative Mooney and Representative Miller for being here. We want to thank you for sharing a small piece of your state's abundant beauty with us in Washington. Also want to thank... As you see, Hamas sympathizers tried to overrun the national Christmas tree lighting last night. They've also taken aim at other Christmas tree lightings around the country, including one tonight in New York. There is a ceasefire right now. So why are they chanting for a ceasefire? The pressure on Mr. Biden is intense. In Oakland, California, the council, the city council there, took up a resolution to demand a ceasefire. As we've laid out, a ceasefire only helps Hamas. Then a city council member tacked on language condemning Hamas. Seems like a minor point after 
October 7th, but here was the reaction. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. Those are all Democratic voters, Democratic primary voters. The political reality for Mr. Biden couldn't be more clear. Mr. Biden needs the support of those who want to destroy Israel. And Mr. Biden wants to support Israel. That doesn't work. And it's pretty clear now. He has chosen his political future. Last night, he tweeted, Hamas unleashed a terrorist attack because they fear nothing more than Israelis and Palestinians living side by side in peace. Pardon me. To continue down the path of terror, violence, killing, and wars to give Hamas what they seek, we can't do that. We can't do what exactly? We can't destroy Hamas so that there actually could be peace. We can't let Israel defend itself. The tweet makes no sense, but that's kind of the point. The White House has no idea what to do right now. Mr. Biden needs the Arab vote to win in 2024. Our friends at Axios point out in mission, for example, Biden won in 2020 by 154,000 votes. Census estimates put the state's Arab population at 278,000. Biden won Arizona by 10,500, the Arab population 60,000. Biden took Georgia by less than 12,000 votes, the Arab population is 57,000. That's 42 electoral college votes right there and more than enough to swing the election towards Republicans. It matters, which is why Mr. Biden's team keeps trying to tie Israel's hands. We'd like to see the pause extended. I believe it's also something that, uh, that Israel wants. Israel will be fine to keep extending until they get all their hostages back. They've said over and over and over again that they will then start fighting again and destroy Hamas. That's why what you just heard from Antony Blinken is not enough for the pro-Hamas wing of the Democratic Party. And it's not even enough for some inside the White House. Phil Wegman is standing by to explain the deep divisions, even within the administration. But first, the quote that said it all this morning. Osama Simblani is the publisher of the Arab American News. He told Axios, unless Biden turns into Jesus Christ and brings some Palestinians back from the dead, we're not supporting him. That is from the largest and oldest Arab American newspaper in the United States. He was with us just a couple of minutes ago. Thomas Sablani, publisher of the Arab American News, based uh, in Michigan near Detroit. Appreciate you joining us, sir. Thank you. I know uh, they say betrayal is the worst word in the English language. I know you all feel betrayed by President Biden. What do you want him to do differently? Well, uh, we want him to be uh, a leader. I mean, isn't that uh, that what everybody wants from the president of the United States, uh, the, the, the leader of the free world? We want him to be a leader. We want him to lead the world, not to destroy it. Uh, since he became a but president, specifically, at, at sir, though, what would you, what would you want him to do differently? You want him to lead? How? You want him to demand Israel do what? I want him to to do what is right for the region and what what uh, goes along the principle of the United States. We we do not expect the president to go to Israel uh, during the war wartime and say we're going to give you all the weapons all the support just go ahead and kill people 
we would like him to go and say, what can I do in order to solve this problem so we will not have this issue again? The way to protect Israel is to solve the Israeli-Palestinian issue, not to exaggerate the, the, the differences between them and then pit them against each other. That is what leadership is. Bill Clinton did it in 1993. He tried uh, during the Oslo, signing of the Oslo Accord 30 years ago. It didn't work. Because after Bill Clinton, we know what happened. George Bush with the war on terror, and then Barack Obama, you know, was not really a, a yeah. uh, strong leader as far as foreign policy. And then after that, Donald Trump and then uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Biden. Hmm. I, no, I, I, I understand the history pretty well. Um, I, I guess looking forward, if the Arab American vote is going to not vote uh, for Joe Biden, as you have said, who are they going to vote for? Well, we don't know who the Republican nominee will be, um, since the choices are very limited in here. Um, however, there is an, a third option, which is no vote for the top ticket. And yeah. not voting for the, for the two of them, you know, whether it was uh, whether it's uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, uh, I think that uh, that gives them something to think about uh, for for the future, the Democrats and the Republicans. This is a swing state. If we abstain from voting, then it's going to be calculated. They're going to, to look at the figures because it's going to be very, very close. And not yeah. speaking to the Arab American community and not talking to them and not addressing the issues that they're concerned about, there is a price for it. Look, you, you get no argument from me. The Arab vote, uh, not only in Michigan, uh, but in Georgia as well, a couple of other swing states, uh, is extraordinarily important. Uh, look, I, I'm wondering if you're seeing what we're seeing, which is that President Biden is changing his tone uh, significantly towards Israel. Uh, he's he's now talking and Anthony Blinken is talking about uh, continuing a ceasefire. Uh, President Biden seems to have stepped back, especially in his tweet last night, significantly in his position in terms of, of giving uh, Israel, uh, you want to call it a, a blank check, a hunting license with no bag limit, whatever whatever you would characterize it as. Well, there is a saying in Arabic that I'm going to try to translate it into English. It says that... Um, I hear what you're saying, and I like it. I see what you're doing, and I wonder. The talk is cheap, because we've heard it before from Joe Biden when he was running, when he said we will have a seat at the table. We don't even have a place in the room, never mind the table. So talk is cheap. You know, we, we want to see actions. Now, would the president, would Joe Biden be able to bring back the thousands of children and women have been, that have been killed? Would he be able to, to build all these homes that have been uh, destructed and these uh, uh, Palestinians that have been, uh, you know, um, uh, evacu evacuated from the West Bank, and from, I'm sorry, from the uh, Gaza mm -hmm. to nowhere, to nowhere? I mean, th oh. that, that's the question. The question is, okay, you can tell me that you're going to do something about it, yeah, but should I, I I, I, under, I understand your point, sir, and I, and I think it's a, an important one about the loss of, of life in Gaza. Uh, recent polling, 75% of Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank support the October 7th attacks. Uh, recent 
uh, pictures now from the West Bank uh, of Hamas killing Palestinians and stringing them up on electrical poles. The, the images that America is seeing of Hamas and of what Hamas does to its own people, I'm wondering, sir, if it would not be easier for Palestinians and Pal- Palestinian supporters in America to be able to talk about the plight of Gazans if they were more willing to acknowledge the evil of Hamas, number one, and number two, acknowledge that the only way to have a two-state solution that you talked about, that in the past the Arab world uh, has not supported and certainly Palestinians have not gone along with, the way to have that has to require the elimination of Hamas. Um. What it requires also is the elimination of Netanyahu and his right-wing government. Uh, his ministers called Palestinians uh, human animals, and one of them said that we're going to nuke them. Uh, these are the people that we have to get rid of. Uh, plus, October 7 is not the time when the, this conflict started. It started in 1948. It has been brewing for 75 years. 75 years the Palestinians have been under... Sir, sir, we don't, we, don't need, we don't need to go litigate the past. Hold on. Respectfully, I've asked, tough, I've asked very tough questions of the Israelis as well, um, and I don't allow them to then blame the Palestinians. Hold on, and I don't allow them to blame the Palestinians. I'm asking you, sir, specifically as it relates to the Arab world and to Palestinians in America and to the Palestinian movement in America. Uh, I'm asking you about your movement, not about the Israelis. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to talk and speak from moral high ground if everyone repudiated Hamas and repudiated the acts of October 7th? I, I'm not willing to repudiate uh, Hamas and, and condemn Hamas for what they've done on October 7th. I will, I, because the history doesn't start on October 7th. The history goes back to 1948. The suffering of the Palestinians has been going on for 75 years, and no one did anything about it. And Hamas is the product of the suffering. I, I cannot condemn Hamas for what they have done. I have to condemn those people who drove the Palestinian to the point of no return. I have to. Okay. No, I, 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 under, I understand your position. I think there's a lot of people who would argue it goes back to a lot uh, further than 1948. A conversation for another time. I appreciate, I, re- I genuinely appreciate you being willing to come on. Uh, we're going to keep covering this, and you're invited back anytime, especially in studio in Washington, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Leo. Yes, sir. Thank you. With us now, Phil Wegman, White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. Great to have you back on the program, sir. Uh, video just into us out of 30 Rock. This is the Christmas tree lighting in New York City. A massive pro-Hamas crowds uh, showed up. You guys can call them Hamas enthusiasts. This would be my question. Is the White House kind of surprised still by this massive pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, call them whatever you want, crowd inside the Democratic Party? I think so to some extent, because President Biden, from the very beginning, has been supportive of Israel going back to his time in the Senate. Certainly there has been a bit of wavering that you pointed to, that incongruent tweet. But I think that what we are seeing currently right now, and what is significant about this, is that there is a disconnect between Joe Biden, who is a traditional big government Democrat, and younger, more online, more progressive uh, liberals who are viewing this not in terms of, um, you know, traditional uh, 
uh, foreign policy, but they're saying what is happening in Gaza right now is a conflict between colonizer and the colonized. That is a very different conversation than the one that uh, President Biden or Secretary Blinken are prepared to have. Well, or... Bill Clinton never had or Hillary Clinton never had. These are the whole traditional Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party split, right, because you have this progressive base. You call colonizer the colonized. You could also say the powerful and the powerless, whatever you want to call it, to sort of justify their feelings. Um, But at the same time, you've got Benjamin Netanyahu, who has his own difficulties with Joe Biden. He's made Israel's position very clear uh, in, I don't want to say sort of told, told Biden thanks, but no thanks for the advice. But made it clear that after whatever pause there is, when Israel stops getting hostages back, they're restarting the war. Take a listen. The same time, the October 7th attacks have galvanized the American Jewish community in a way that's really sort of been unseen in history. How worried is the White House that if they bend at the knee to the pro-Palestinian crowd, they're going to alienate and anger the very significant Jewish crowd and some pretty significant Jewish donors in the Democratic Party. This is the worst kind of balancing act that the White House did not want to have to deal with going into an election year. Remember back to uh, the foreign uh, affairs essay that uh, Jake Sullivan wrote. They thought that the Middle East was a quiet success story. They did not expect this. And I'm so glad that you pointed out uh, the numbers in Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia, because that lays out the worst case scenario for Democrats, at least on paper, uh, where you have a larger Arab American population than Biden won those states by that margin. So the thought is, if if there's a close election, if uh, we continue to um, you know see these demonstrations, see these viral moments, then perhaps those voters, no, no, they don't come out and vote for, for former President uh, Trump or any other Republican, but they stay home and they cost uh, President Biden the White House. Yeah, you make a great point about there's so many issues in Washington you can equivocate on. But when both sides, the pro-Hamas side and the pro-Israel side, view it as an issue of moral clarity, It's very hard to equivocate, which is what you're pointing out the White House keeps trying to do. Phil, awesome reporting. Keep it up. Thank you very much. We've been covering this for a long time with War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. So go to warnotes.com and you subscribe. Phil reads it every day. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the very most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together. You get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter, warnotes.com, and subscribe for free. Coming up next, Iran uses GPS spoofing to target commercial airliners. How Iran could take hundreds of American hostages without firing a single shot. And the ladies of the view think it's okay for a Georgia DA to go after Trump for racketeering, but... Uh, Going after a rapper who allegedly sang about his crimes is, well, too much. Rap is uh, a form of black resistance. It's the story of what young, a lot of young black men and young black women are experiencing in this country. In the skies over the Middle East, commercial airliners, often with hundreds of Americans on board, find themselves wildly off course. Researchers at the University of Texas traced back GPS spoofing in the Middle East to, surprise, Iran. 
GPS spoofing makes airliners' instruments tell pilots they're in a different location, meaning Iran could trick an airliner into flying over Iranian airspace. For obvious reasons, commercial airliners, a lot of them, avoid Iranian airspace. You can see the aviation group tracked 50-plus incidents of spoofing around Cairo, Tel Aviv, and Baghdad. The corridor you're looking at, and you can see all of the airliners avoiding Iran because what we are about to talk about. One of the cities that's experienced the spoofing is Baghdad. Baghdad's especially significant because of the heavy traffic going in and out of Dubai and Qatar. Planes with thousands of Americans fly in and out every day. They avoid Iran. This is a cockpit screen from one of the planes attacked by Iranian spoofing. It shows the airliner's actual location plotted against where Iran wants the plane to think it is. It wouldn't take much to send a plane into Iranian airspace. There, Iran could either force it down, force it to land and take hostages, or shoot it down. Here now, retired Air Force Special Operations Commander Glenn Ignazio is with us now. Glenn, am I crazy to think that this is what Iran's planning? No, not not at all. I mean, uh, this is definitely something that they would do. The route that uh, most of these airlines that are flying are actually there's military bases to uh, to the left and to the right, actually, of this route that Iranian military bases. You know, even North Korea does this to South Korea by trying to get the military aircraft over for an international incident. For Iran, this could be rather significant where you see Hamas taking hostages, getting somewhere. Iran would be doing the same thing, and it would be pretty catastrophic for the globe because you don't know which airline they would particularly go after. And they may not even know just the way this works. They may not. They may not even know which airline or airliner they they get to to fly over and and force to land. Help us understand. Uh, GPS is owned by the United States. It's run by the Defense Department. How is it so easy to do this? And at least from the researchers, say there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, well, great question. Uh, yeah, the the actual satellite constellation that provides you GPS signals for your phone to aircraft uh, was flown by the Air Force, is actually flown by the U.S. Space Force. It is owned and operated by them. So one of the things that th- these systems can do, like what you'll see in Israel, is jamming. That's to prevent any kind of GPS systems from working drones or even weapon systems. But spoofing, spoofing is quite different, where they're actually targeting a particular aircraft sending information to it to align it and feel that it's somewhere else. It's like an aircraft that's over Washington, D.C., as you said, feels like you're over New York City, and that's wrong. Most of the systems operate with either GPS, which is satellite, or an inertial navigation systems, which is gyroscopes within the aircraft to tell you if you're moving left or right. Well, in the airlines, these systems are tied to be very, very hyper-accurate. So if you jam one, or excuse me, you spoof one, you're actually affecting another. That's why some of these aircraft really don't know where they're at when this is occurring. Is there any logical explanation other than Iran is at least practicing, trying, once the capability of forcing a plane over its airspace for whatever nefarious purposes, um, setting up fighters, intercepting it, and he intercepted, you know, 777 with 300 people on board and tell it to land, it's going to land. Is there any non-nefarious logical explanation for why Iran would be doing this? No, not at all, because the, the impact and the safety of flight is, is, is tremendous because, you know, you're, you're doing separation of aircraft from altitudes and routes in flight so that, you know, another aircraft doesn't hit another aircraft. So it's extremely dangerous that way. In addition, as you say, from an international geopolitical view, you're bringing aircraft into your own airspace that are not authorized. The captain of the aircraft is responsible for knowing where it is in the world, even if this jamming or spoofing, excuse me, occurs 
it's responsible for the for the aircraft. So if if he or she finds herself finds themselves in an international airspace and or out of international airspace and in say Iranian airspace, they are up to the laws of Iran and they could be intercepted and or mm. brought down. Scary. Glenn, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up, actually, coming up right now, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis charged Donald Trump under Georgia's Racketeering and Corrupt Organizations Act, otherwise known as RICO. RICO sounds important. It sounds nefarious, and it is. The left loved using RICO against Donald Trump. She also used the same law to indict the rapper Young Thug of founding a criminal street gang. Six total charges, conspiracy to violate the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, two counts participation in criminal street gang activity, three counts violating Georgia Controlled Substance Act, possession of a firearm while committing a felony, possession of a machine gun. That trial began this week. And prosecutors plan to use his rap lyrics against him, much to the anger of the left, specifically the ladies of The View. The other problem with it is that it, we talk about dog whistles. This is a bit of a dog whistle. Yes, you know? I believe And so. I think that if, if you don't want to taint a jury, yeah. d- don't do it like this. Don't do this. Because what you're, what you're basically saying is, see, he's probably guilty. Daryl Cohen's here, former assistant attorney in Fulton County, Georgia. Daryl, it's good to see you. We appreciate it. What do you make of this trial, at least, being a little bit of a, a dry run, a preview of using this sort of very novel and very broad Georgia law against a rapper and then against a former president? Well, this is very unusual. It's happened before, by the way, when the city of Atlanta had school teachers that were charged with racketeering. But Fonnie is reaching out so that she can absolutely prosecute everyone that may have committed a crime in something in some other place other than Fulton County, Georgia. Otherwise, she would be restricted to only prosecute crimes that happened here in Fulton County. So she's been able to use RICO to do that. And that's important because that brings in the broad scope of defendants that are left. Yeah, no, it, it sort of, in, as I understand it, is a pretty unique statute to Georgia in terms of how broad it is and how it allows prosecutors this kind of discretion. We'll get to the fact that you know, the left loves using RICO against Donald Trump, hates it against Young Thug. Um, that's sort of the political system we have right now that you cheer on your own team regardless of the facts. But if we watch the Young Thug trial, um, and it, a lot of it goes around his, his lyrics, Does that sort of give us a preview of how juries would look at sort of these very novel theories? Well, it seems to me that people are forgetting that lyrics are nothing more and nothing less than words. And so words are admissible in court and a jury can listen to it from the prosecution side and then they analyze it and then they hear cross-examination and whatever witnesses, if any, from the defense side. So this is really, in my opinion, Shakespeare, much ado about nothing. It's going to come in some way or another, and the defense can do with it as they see fit. And the jury is going to pay attention and like Young Thug or not like Young Thug. And in my view, that's going to be the crux of what their verdict is ultimately going to be. And I want to point out, this is the longest running trial in the state of Georgia. It took 11 months to select a jury. Unbelievable. Took 11 months to select the Young Thug jury. How long 
God, how long does that mean it's going to take to select the Donald Trump jury? Maybe 11 years if it ever gets there. This is just <laughs> so much that's involved that is so unique and unusual yeah. that they're throwing in the kitchen sink on both sides. This is not just a prosecution issue, not just a defense issue. It's a case issue. You know, I got to tell you, that is a fascinating analysis, especially bringing in 11 months for jury selection. Uh, we're just about 11 months to the election. So uh, it tells you just sort of how things um, could play out. Fascinating. Daryl, we appreciate the expertise. Thank you. Fascinating. Thanks we'll for talk having soon. me. Have a, Coming have up. a great year. Thanks so much. Yeah, you too as well. We'll talk before the end of the year. Coming up next, Blueprint for Victory. South Carolina shows Republicans an easy path to the White House in 2024. Specifically, this guy showed the path. Why do so many in the Republican Party refuse to even consider the path? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Turns out boring, old-fashioned Republicans win. Charleston, South Carolina, just elected its first Republican mayor since Reconstruction using that strategy. But sadly, for Republicans who just want to win, they rarely actually make that choice for boring, old-fashioned Republicans to get to the general election. Nikki Haley hopes to change that, obviously, by being an old-fashioned, somewhat boring Republican. And while she says she is the future, current polling in her home state shows her 30 points behind Donald Trump in her home state. To be fair, that polling included Tim Scott at 10%. He has since dropped out. So even if you give her that whole 10% of Tim Scott's vote, she's 20 points behind Trump. Republicans won a historic urban upset last week. Can they repeat it? That's Dave Weigel writing for Semaphore, and Dave is with us now. It's great to have you in person. I would say on the radio, long-time listener, (laughs) first-time caller. It's great to have you. Help us with this. Mm-hmm. Can they repeat it? Answer that question for me. The Republicans who won this race are skeptical that they can. So William Cogswell is going to be the new mayor of Charleston. He built a coalition of Republicans. They all turned out and voted. He turned out a lot of them. Uh, and some Democrats were frustrated with a two-term mayor who presided over some rising crime, presided over riots in 2020. This, the, the, the Republican ran on a pro, pro-fair development, pro-police, pro-safety message, and he stayed away from conservative politics. Not those things are conservative, but he stayed away from abortion, he stayed away from guns, he hadn't voted for some of the, the more conservative legislation in, in Columbia. And Republicans, I talked to his campaign manager, talked to Republicans there, they said that was pretty helpful. I mean, if he had yeah. been a MAGA Republican, he might not have won. Uh, he only won by 800 votes, so you can imagine yeah, yeah. it would have been hard, especially in Charleston, which is mm-hmm. very liberal uh, as, as a city. Um, this is him, Cogswell, mm-hmm. endorsing Nikki Haley. Take mm-hmm. a listen. Nikki Haley, uh, I got to go with her. She's been um, an incredible governor. When I first went to the legislature, I served under her. I had the honor to serve under her. I think she is somebody that brings, again, pragmatic solutions um, to uh, not just our state, but our, our country's uh, growing issues. And I think she's got a good disposition. 
All right. We said it about a year ago, South Carolina is shaping mm-hmm. up to be the most interesting place in America for politics. I think you'd probably agree with that yeah, right now. Definitely. Uh, if Nikki Haley's and Cogswell's path is the future for the Republican Party, the path to success, why aren't more Republicans getting on it? I think the polling explains a lot of this. If you're Nikki Haley right now, you are at every campaign event at the debates pointing out that you poll better than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is ahead a little bit in Michigan, but she's well ahead of of Joe Biden in Michigan. She's competitive in places where where Biden's not competitive. She wins some suburban voters who maybe vote for Glenn Youngkin or William Cogswell, but not for Trump. But Trump is also ahead of Biden. And for a lot of Republicans, I mean, he is objectively polling than he ever did in 16 or 20. That argument is enough. They know Donald Trump. They thought they know what his record is. They want a return of that record as much as possible of what he did in his first term. And for Haley to break through and say, trust me, I can win by a few more points. It's not been very compelling to people who agree with Trump on most issues. All right. So Haley's trying to address that, right? Well, this is hypothetical matchups. Haley wins by 10 points over Joe Biden. You point out that there are mm-hmm. states that she wins that he does not. Uh, Trump over uh, four points right now by, by Joe Biden. Here's Haley talking about Trump today. Take a listen. I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I was proud to serve America in his administration. I agree with a lot of his policies. But the truth is, chaos follows him. All right, so play this out for me, right? Nikki Haley is going to be on the debate stage a week from tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got DeSantis, Vivek, and Christie. She's going to have everybody focusing their fire on her conceivably somebody comes out as the the number one to have the number two spot to take on Donald Trump, go mano a mano. Mm-hmm. If she's successful in that, if she becomes the person at some point to get one-on-one with Donald Trump, can she keep that up? Yes, she has a great calendar. This is her advantage, and you point out the South Carolina polling. She's behind, but what she wants to get is a one-on-one race with Trump in South Carolina. There are weeks between the New Hampshire primary and the South Carolina primary. The dream scenario for her is she does well in Iowa, DeSantis drops out. She beats Trump in North Hampshire. She has five weeks to win that that race. And right now the polling says Republicans in South Carolina like them both. They love Donald Trump. They love Nikki Haley. They think that Donald Trump, having been president, knowing a record, is a better choice than her. She would have those weeks to convince them, all right, you love Donald Trump. I can bring you what he did and more. And Trump has not, he's called her bird brain, et cetera. He has not made a substantive argument about, beyond that insult, about why she would be a bad president. She's, he's not attacked her on China. He's not attacked her on Ukraine. Not really. So what we don't have is a sustained period of Donald Trump, who has credibility Republican voters, saying you can't trust her for reasons X, Y, and Z. But she is in a good position, if she gets through New Hampshire, to make that argument for five weeks. Well, and Trump's thinking about it, and he's thinking about South Carolina. He showed mm-hmm. up at the USC-Clemson game right. uh, on Saturday. Got a hero's welcome there mm-hmm. uh, from the crowd with Henry McMaster, the current governor. So that that could be where it all comes down to. We'll yeah. see you on the trail. This was great. Thank you very you much. There. Thank you very much. News Nation's home for your next Republican primary debate, and this is going to be a big one because this is the first one with Nikki Haley as a front runner. Sirius XM's Megan Kelly, News Nation's own Elizabeth Vargas, moderates the two-hour debate in partnership with the Washington Free Beacon, Eliana Johnson, you see there. It's happening at the University of Alabama. Roll Tide, one week from tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. Next, place your bets, literally. Think about this. Will Eric Adams be New York City's mayor on New Year's Eve? There's reason to think the clock is ticking. We'll see you in a minute. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The FBI is now looking into the details of New York City Mayor Eric Adams' trips abroad to Turkey. You may remember two of the mayor's aides are also currently being investigated by the FBI, one of which was his top campaign fundraiser. Chris Cuomo is here. Boy, I thought Eric Adams was the guy who was going to clean up New York City. It seems like it's business as usual, huh? Don't let allegations become convictions. Um, Yes, we've heard some things. Yes, this new development, you know, you always want to keep the team together. And if one person peels off and gets their own counsel, it's never a good sign about what's happening. I don't know for sure that his aide, now former aide, is cooperating. Maybe they just felt it was a conflict or something else. But we got a long way to go before I am convinced that he has legitimate legal trouble. But you're covering it tonight. Oh, sure. Sure. But I think how you cover it is just as important. Well, what do you, what do you got for us? Look, you know, uh, so what we're doing tonight is we're going to take a look. I'm going to take the other side of this. Someone who prosecuted these cases, who now defends these cases, who says he knows how these cases are built and what it looks like when they're being built and they're real. And Adams has trouble. Now, This man knows much better than I do. However, skepticism uh, is what we must demand in these situations. And I believe the FBI set a very high bar for them by accosting him in public and taking his phone. They didn't have to do it that way. And here's my big question tonight. The FBI takes forever with investigations. What does that mean when this man has to lead right now and has an election in a year? They take forever to build cases. Should they be pushed to show or shut up soon? Hmm. Should they be? In my opinion, absolutely. Two reasons. Uh, One, uh, the equity to public interest. Uh, And two, given the current atmosphere of distrust in our institutions, they should step up and show that they're doing things the right way, efficiently, and quickly. The longer we wait, the more doubt there is. Yeah, there's no question about that from, from both sides, really. And, the, and, and look, and the longer they wait to show what their cards are and say, hey, here's what we got or here's what we don't. All right, uh, looking forward to that conversation uh, a little later, uh, 11 minutes. Have a great show, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, 1,000 people block one of New York's busiest roadways. Just one arrest made. This was video from protesters trying to storm the White House. Yeah, they haven't gone and arrested a single person who tried to break into the White House. Tonight could be the biggest pro-Hamas protest of them all. They're going to try to take over Rockefeller Center for the tree lighting. Why do these folks keep getting a pass? Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Last night in D.C. at the Capitol Hill Christmas tree lighting, pro-Hamas protesters erupted into chants of ceasefire now. 
Well, the Speaker of the House lit the Capitol Christmas tree tonight in New York City to flood the tree lighting for Gaza. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people showed up to protest the annual Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting. Tens of thousands wanted to just come and watch and kick off the season. The NYPD says they're pulling out all the stops to keep everyone safe. Officers are using drone technology to watch above, and you can see people then crawling up on some of the barricades. Retired FBI agent and attorney Bobby Chacon, vice president of Trust and Restoring Integrity in Elections, May Malman, is with us now. Bobby, I want to start with you. Um, help us understand the decision-making matrix that goes into this, right? Because we've seen in a lot of these protests, people can shout whatever they want, but we saw at the White House trying to break into the White House, vandalizing the White House, no arrests. We're seeing in New York City, uh, people climbing up on onto things and uh, getting in people's faces and becoming very aggressive, all that kind of stuff. We'll put up video of what's happening at Rock Center right now, carrying swastikas uh, and the like. Who makes the decision whether to stand back and just make sure nobody gets hurt versus actively enforcing laws like you can't climb up on top of uh, things in Rockefeller Center? Well, there's a planning phase that happens prior to these events, and it's both the prosecutors and the police and the law enforcement and the policymakers, the politicians that are in charge. And so everything filters down. Of course, the law enforcement has to be the ones to go hands on. But those decisions are made leading up to it. And, you know, quite frankly, recently, there's been a permissive environment to let these things happen. I mean, I remember I was in, I was part of the FBI security detail in 1999 in Times Square. We had that place locked down. Anybody that stepped out of line was whisked away and prosecuted. You don't have that same uh, fervor now to prosecute people that are doing these things, unless it was, you know, the January 6th people. But but we see the permissive environment that they're now allowed to. And let me say, I've observed criminals all my life. They are very adaptable. They know what they can get away with. And if they know they're in a permissive environment where they're not going to be prosecuted, they will become more and more and more aggressive until you start prosecuting them. And you will be dealing with this on a on a much more serious level the more you allow it to happen. May, Bobby brought up, except the January 6th people, I think I'm going to know the answer uh, ahead of time, but we couldn't believe when we watched the video of people trying to break into the White House um, that nobody was arrested. Even former Secret Service agents couldn't believe that nobody was arrested. They said, oh, for sure they're going to track these people down. Uh, We've kept after it. We've watched. They haven't been tracked down. They haven't been arrested for vandalizing the White House or trying to break in um, on and on and on. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't, because even arrests don't matter. So if you look at the BLM arrests, depending on the city, between 90 and 95 percent of those arrests were dropped. Charges were not brought. I think the Department of Justice itself dropped between 600 and 700 cases versus January 6th. More than a thousand people are facing charges. Uh, We've seen these pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas riots get violent. So the one that happened outside of the DNC where they had to shut down Congress, people couldn't leave. Police officers were injured. No arrests. Well, one arrest. We'll see what happens to that person. Yeah, you you think there were far more officers injured than there were people arrested, which doesn't quite, the the ratio seems a little off there. Look, you don't want to ever see a police officer get hurt, regardless of the place. Bobby, this is what I'm interested in when you talk about the FBI looking into this and watching these these rallies. It's pretty clear the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas groups um, that were on the streets the day after October 7th, which was sort of stunning uh, timing in terms of being able to even just get all these Palestinian flags out. Uh, They're obviously being organized. 
Uh, you, you have to imagine there are a lot of people who are Hamas sympathizers in there just based on the chance and what the interviews have shown. How good is the FBI's view and insight into who's organizing it and what these people are capable of? Well, I think it's very good, and I, I think it, it's a good insight. It depends on what they do with the insight. So we're married right hip to hip with the Justice Department. If they're not going to prosecute, we don't arrest, and that's that's the deal. There's no sense arresting people if, if DOJ is not going to prosecute. So if they go hand in hand, and in the lead up to these things, if we're we're putting our plan together, and if they're not going to prosecute, and then it's kind of hard. Then what happens is the city takes these people off. They go to central booking. They get dismissed, and, and they're out on the street within hours, mm-hmm. probably before. Back. So it all it really comes down to a the decision by the prosecutors. Are we going to treat these people as the criminals that they are? If we're not, then why is law enforcement even there or getting involved? You know, we're, we're keeping the peace, but we're letting these criminals run amok. Mm. And I guarantee the more violent and more aggressive, the more it goes on. Yeah, you, make, you make a great point. Uh, it's a choice. Hard to imagine people getting arrested for jumping up on barricades and the like when in New York you don't get arrested for beating people up on the subway. Bobby May, thank you for 